<laughs> All right. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, what's up, everybody? We, uh, uh, first things first, my wife, Jean, and I, we grew up in Oklahoma, and so, yes, we are Sooner fans. And uh, just... Uh, Figured we'd get that out of the way so we can all be friends, let the healing process begin. Um, right off the bat here. No, but uh, let's move on. <laughs> we, uh, we, did, we have been in youth ministry uh, for the last seven years. Actually, my wife's a public school teacher. She actually just became the assistant principal at her school. And um, I switched over about a year ago uh, now to public uh, education myself. And, uh, but we've been in youth ministry, uh, like Brennan said, and we kind of got stuck up north in the frozen tundra in Minnesota and Wisconsin for about 10 years. And uh, when I say stuck, I really mean stuck. And we finally, uh, God finally heard our prayers and, and sent us back south because uh, uh, we all know that snow is of the devil. And uh, the happiest day of my life was when I sold my snowblower. And so we, uh, we finally made it back down here. We love Austin and we love A&C. And uh, currently we're in the process of adopting a little baby boy from Rwanda, which is awesome, fun, exciting, and uh, terrifying all at the same time. And so we, uh, we're pumped about that. Let's, uh, let's, can, we, can we pray again just real quickly just, uh, and then and jump into that? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning, God. And I just pray that uh, you would speak, God. We're here to hear from you. And uh, God, I pray that I don't screw it up. In uh, Jesus' name, amen. So let's, uh, let's do a, a quick note about your notes here this morning. You may be looking at those going, what in the world is this? It's a crossword puzzle. And uh, I'm the kind of guy, that's kind of the youth pastor in me, I'm the kind of guy that I like to make everything a competition, okay? And so whenever uh, the speaker gives you notes to fill in, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, is making it a, a competition with Rob or whoever's sitting next to me going, trying to guess the blanks ahead of time and see who gets the most right. So just have a little fun with that this morning. Uh, but let's do this. Okay, as we get started, let's have a little confession time. Okay, let's be open, honest with each other. Okay, and by a show of hands, a little confession time. How many of you would say that you regularly practice the discipline of sticking your foot in your mouth? Anybody here? Okay, awesome. Okay, most of us, I think. Okay, how about um, you're the kind of person, or hey, if you're, gonna, you're the kind of person that you think out loud, you know, between brain and mouth, you have no filter whatsoever, right? You know, that kind of person, right? That pretty much describes all middle schoolers, if you've ever worked with any middle schoolers. No filter whatsoever. Okay, they just haven't developed it. Some of us never develop it. Um, I'm not that way. I'm, I'm more the kind of guy that I think before I talk. I, I'm kind of a shy personality, and I think before I talk. But the problem is that I have kind of a malfunctioning, short-circuiting filter where I'm, I seem to always still be... Uh, get myself into weird, awkward situations. I did a whole, <laughs> I did this whole baby dedication one time at our church up in Wisconsin, where uh, in front of the whole church, you know, I had this family, we were praying over this family and their little girl, and doing this whole dedication, praying for her parents, only to find out later that it was a little boy and a christening gown. Okay, so <laughs> those kind of things. That's a little bit. Me, okay? So I'm constantly sticking my foot in my mouth saying something stupid or you know myself. Anybody ever have your mouth washed out with soap when you were a kid? You'd be honest and admit that, okay? So you said something you weren't supposed to, okay? Well, needless to say, I think all of us here can agree that sometimes our tongues can get us into some pretty awkward situations and we need to learn how to control the things that, we, that come out of our mouth, right? 
And so James, we've been going through the book of James, and I'll just admit this. I'll confess this this morning. When I uh, learned about what uh, I was going to talk about this morning, I was a little jealous. Okay, I was a little disappointed because James is one of those letters that's very intense and it's, it's very, uh, um, he's very intentional and deals with some huge issues in the life of the church. You, you got to remember he's writing to some of the earliest Christians who are going through some really heavy stuff. I mean, these are a group of people that are being stoned, that are being imprisoned, that are being, uh, you know, persecuted for their beliefs. And so James writes about that. He talks about uh, trials and temptations and he needs that. And these, these are a group of people that need that kind of encouragement, right? And so these are huge issues. And then he goes on and he talks about faith and works and how those two play together. And, uh, and, and he talks about taking care of orphans and widows and taking care of the poor. And this is a group of people, again, that would become known for rescuing babies out of city street dumps in Rome and would become known for putting an end to the gladiator games. I mean, you talk about injustice, putting an end to these kind of things. And these are a group of people that really really had a huge impact on the world. And this letter that James writes to these people deals with all these heavy issues and it's very intense. And so Brandon and Matthew and Trey over the last couple of weeks got to, uh, you know, inspire with the, these messages and, and do these incredible, uh, intense messages. And then we come to James 3 and I kind of felt like at first, like, I could talk about don't cuss. You know, so it's kind of like, how does that fit in? It seems a little bit out of place. But I think once we look at it a little bit more closely, James has a bigger uh, topic in mind, a bigger uh, deal in mind here. So let's take a look. James chapter 3, <clears throat> starting in verse 3, he says this. When we put bits in the mouths of horses that, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes a great boast. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. So James here, I mean, he's not playing around. Right off the bat, he's trying desperately to make this uh, emphasis that this is a big deal. He gives us three examples of small things that make a huge impact, that make a big difference. He talks about a rudder on a ship, bits in the mouth of horses, a small spark that starts a fire, and he compares these things right off the bat, trying to emphasize, guys, this is a huge deal. The way that we control our tongues is a big deal. Okay, and even earlier on, he says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself. His religion is worthless. Someone say worthless. Okay? Someone say worthless. Worthless. There we go. So, uh, worthless. I mean, he's not playing around here. He's being very intentional, very intense about what this topic here. And uh, it seems a little bit out of place to me. I mean, but he's obviously trying to get to a point here. And I think he kind of has a progression that he's getting to, that we'll find out here in just a second. So let's keep reading. Verses 7 and 8 says this. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. And I, I found that interesting because he says no man can tame the tongue. And so at first, uh, at first glance I'm going, but you just spent all this time telling us how big a deal it is uh, that we control what comes out of our mouth. 
You just spend all this time telling us how huge of a deal this tongue thing is, and then you tell us we can't tame it. Well, there's nothing you can do about it. Okay? And, and, and he, he really does. He really gives some harsh warnings. He talks about fire from hell, and he talks about, uh, you know, the, the, the tongue is a world of evil, and he gives some harsh warnings about our tongues and the things that come out of our mouth. And then he tells us, but you can't tame it. And so it's a little confusing here right at first, I feel like when he says, no man can tame the tongue. And so, at first I was a little thrown off by that, but I think we're getting kind of to the crux of what James wants to say here in these next four verses. Let's look at these. In 8 through 12, he says, The tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. That's an interesting phrasing, I thought. Full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now this section, these last four verses, sound really familiar. And what you have to remember is most scholars believe that this James who wrote this letter is the half-brother of Jesus. And so he's a guy that is going to be very familiar with the teachings of Jesus. And this particular section is almost like he just plagiarizes what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12. It's like he, he cut and paste and almost lifts the same idea here in Matthew 12. Listen to what Jesus, how Jesus says this in, in Matthew 12, 33-37. says, Jesus says, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good out of the good stored up in him. The evil man brings evil out of evil stored up in him. And Jesus, along with James, is very harsh here in his warnings about what we say. And so all this, all this uh, talk about fruit and uh, good fruit and bad fruit and, uh, and saltwater springs and where does it come from, all this, all this talk about fruit made me think about one of my favorite fruits. Okay, I love watermelon. And uh, I know some of you here, Probably all of you here uh, could tell me, because you know way more about agriculture than I know, because I know diddly about agriculture. It pretty much sums up what I know, diddly. And so you could tell me, you could come up and you could look at the color, you could look at the form, you could, you could I don't know, do what you do and tell me, is this watermelon going to be ripe? Is it going to be juicy? Is it going to be sweet? And, uh, and my question, though, is how do I really know? You know, how do I know it's not going to be sour? It's not going to be, you know, kind of rotten on the inside? You know, I could trust you and, and believe you, but how do I really know for sure? You know, especially with people, we tend to be good at making the outside look good when and kind of disguising what's going on on the inside. You know what I'm saying? Right? And so, how do I really, really know? Let me move this out of the way here. How do I really know what's going on on the inside? How do I know if this is this watermelon here? Stay. Is going to be really, like, good and juicy. For me, in my mind, there's really only one way that I know to find out if this watermelon is going to be good. This is a huge sledgehammer. Brandon, what's the deal? What about Mr. Olympia? Come on, dude. Seriously. So, uh, it's almost as big as the watermelon. Look at that. Okay, so... 
there's no, in my mind, there's only really, like, Paul Bunyan. It's like, oh, one way that I, I want to know what's really inside this watermelon. And so I think that's just a busted open with the sledgehammer. So um, I, I think I want to know, really, is this watermelon going to be good? Is it going to be... <laughs> I want to know, okay, is this watermelon going to be uh, juicy and going to be good? So I think we need to find out, okay? So here we go. I'm going to find out if this watermelon is, is going to be good. So, okay, here we go. Wait a sec, wait a sec, wait a sec. Now, the thought hit me here, okay? That uh, sometimes, how many times does life really hit us with a sledgehammer? Right? I mean, it does. At times, there's tragic things that happen to us, and it hurts, and it's painful when those things happen to us, right? But how, how often does life really hit us with a sledgehammer? It's more often, more likely, on a day-to-day basis, that life doesn't really hit us with a sledgehammer. It's more like just little pricks, isn't it? It's more just little punctures that happen to us on a day-to-day basis, isn't it? It's more just the little things. You know, when we're driving on I-35, right? Or we're driving in the, and, and somebody is in front of us in the fast lane going really slow, right? It's these little punctures, right? Or for me, oh, for what gets me is when we're, when I'm in the mall, and I just want to get in and get out, right? And I get behind this row of girls, you know, that all have to stand shoulder to shoulder, and they walk really slowly. Yeah, that just kind of gets under my skin a little bit. Or uh, it's when I'm collecting money for youth camp, and Gavin Hatmaker pays in pesos, right? <laughs> that one actually made me laugh. Wasn't really, that didn't really get under my skin and made me laugh. But uh, it's really, if we're going to talk about, you know, what... How do we know what's on the inside of it? It's not, on a day-to-day basis, it's not a sledgehammer that hits us, is it? It's more usually the little punctures, it's the little annoyances in life, right? That kind of just, just poke at us. You know what I'm saying? And that's how we usually really get a glimpse of what's inside of us. Take this, bro. Thanks. That's usually kind of what seeps out of us on a day-to-day basis, right? Not the sledgehammers, just the little annoyances that happen to us on a day-to-day basis and the stuff that seeps out of us. And what James and Jesus here are telling us is that stuff that seeps out of us is our words. It's our tongue. That's how we know what's going on on the inside. Okay, and so when James says, no man can tame the tongue, this, it hit me why he says no one can tame the tongue. It's because it's not a tongue issue. It's a heart issue. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the tongue really is a symptom of a deeper-rooted issue. Isn't it? Right? And so and to try and fix the tongue would be pointless. It's like slapping a Band-Aid over a symptom. You know, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's not going to do any good. Trying to slap a Band-Aid over a behavior. We try and fix the behavior, and unless we deal with the root cause of the issue... It's not going to do any good. And the root issue isn't our tongues, it's our heart. Okay, and so when James says, no man can tame the tongue, what he's really trying to tell us, and Jesus is trying to tell us, is that 
when we we recognize that we have a tongue issue, it should indicate to us that we have a heart issue, that there's something going on inside of us that should make us take a step back and ask ourselves, where's this anger coming from? Why am I jealous or why am I threatened by this? You know, what's, what's going on in the inside of me that's making this stuff seep out of me? This making this, uh, where's the stuff coming from, right? And so, and the truth is, it's often when we're angry that uh, we really reveal what's inside of us, isn't it? Truthfully, honestly, it's really when we're angry that people around us get a glimpse of what's going on inside of us. And, and usually it's the people that are closest to us. You know, it's our, it's our spouse, it's our parents, our kids, it's, you know, it's, it's our brothers, our sisters, it's the people that, are, that really we care about the most that kind of get the brunt of this a lot. You know, that on a day-to-day basis, you know, they, they see glimpses of what's really going on inside of us, and they, they take the full weight of that usually. And so I think the main point of what James is really trying to say here is not when you wake up in the middle of the night and you stub your toe and, and certain words come out. I don't think that's really what James is getting at here, driving out here with all these harsh warnings about the tongue. What I think he's really trying to deal with here is, is how we treat other people with our words. Okay? I think it's how we treat other people with our words. And sometimes our words can be venomous. Sometimes our words, uh, we can snap at someone with just sharp, pointed statements. Okay, if you look at verses 8 and 9 again, he says, It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and uh, with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Jesus called these guys brood of vipers. And a viper has a forked tongue. It's like, he's, it's like James is echoing what Jesus is trying to say. In one breath, we're praising God, and the next minute, we're cursing the people who are made in His image. And maybe not even in the face, but behind their backs, we'll, we'll talk bad about them, right? We're cursing them who have been made in God's image. And in Proverbs 18, I thought had an interesting way of saying this. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. I thought that was very interesting phrasing here. Life and death. Life and death. You know the old saying, sick and stones may break my bones and words will never hurt me, right? Well, Scripture seems to be saying here, the six of those will break your bones, but words have the power of life and death. And so that caught my attention when I came across it, this whole idea, this concept that our words have, li- have the power of life and death. And then I came across this really fascinating, uh, well, I think it's a really fascinating experiment by this Japanese guy. Uh, his name is Masaru Emoto. And uh, what he did was he became interested in the, in water molecules and what affects uh, the composition of water molecules. And so what he's done is he did a couple of experiments with jars of distilled water. Okay? And he found a way to freeze them and take pictures of these uh, jars of distilled water. So let me show you just a couple of these pictures. We've got the first one here. Okay, what he did was he played one jar that had distilled water in it. He pa- played uh, a Mozart symphony. Okay, and this is a picture of the water crystal. Okay, and go to the next one. It says, uh, this is heavy metal. <laughs> Isn't that weird, right? Heavy metal, okay? And then, and then it gets really interesting because what he did from here was he would write phrases on pieces of paper and tape them around these jars of distilled water. And this, first, this next one, 
is the phrase, you make me sick, I want to kill you. This is a picture of the water molecule. Okay, and the next one is the phrase, love and gratitude. The next one is the phrase, I think it's thank you. Thank you. Isn't that interesting? Okay. And then he, you know, he, he, uh, he gathered some water from, I think it's the Fujiwara Dam. I think it's in Japan. This is just regular uh, molecule. And then he took a picture of the same water after uh, offering a prayer over the same water. Same exact water. And before we go and dismiss this whole idea and think, and there's a lot to be proven here scientifically with more tests and experiments. Before you go and dismiss this whole idea and think, what does it have to do with anything? You know, let's remember, what are our bodies composed up of mostly? Water, right? Somewhere around 80% of our bodies are made up of water. And so maybe, just maybe Scripture's trying to tell us here that our words really do and carry with them a certain weight. And maybe our words really can't affect even the composition of the people around us. Maybe our words really can affect somebody's mood, attitude, the way they think about themselves. Right? And so this whole idea of words are the power of life and death, I thought was very interesting in Proverbs 18. And so let's explore this just for a second. Uh, how do we bring death to someone? That was my question when I came across this. How, does our, how do our words bring death? I kind of think of it like this. When we say hurtful or abusive things to someone, it's almost like it leaves a scar. It's almost like it leaves a scar in that person. Now, if we go across this room, lots of us would have scars in this room, and, and all the fellows in the room, you know, we think scars are cool, and mostly because they tell a story, right? And anytime yeah, you have a scar, there's a story associated with it. And scars remind us of a time that we were hurt, don't they? They remind us of a time when uh, we had surgery or, or we got hurt in some way, okay? And uh, I was thinking about when you leave a scar on somebody emotionally, that's kind of a different thing because those kind of scars don't necessarily heal as easily, Right? When, the, when somebody has an emotional scar, it really kind of leaves us with a choice of are we going to let it heal properly and let it teach us to forgive, right? Or are we going to kind of pick at it, pick at that scab, right? Are we going to sooner or later let it turn us a deep shade of bitter? And we, if we let it, it can really affect the way we see future relationships, right? And so when you leave a scar on somebody emotionally, it, it really can do some damage, I think. So how do we do that? How do we leave scars with our words? I think it's obviously like things like gossip. And, and working with teenagers, you'd be surprised how many times I hear, oh, it's not gossip if it's the truth, right? It's not gossip if it's the truth. Well, <laughs> actually, it is, but, you know, okay, as if a technicality is going to get them out, you know, of, of you know, saying something bad about somebody behind their back. Let's talk about slander then, okay? You're talking bad about somebody behind their back. It's gossip, slander, hurtful, abusive words, lying, exaggeration, sarcasm. These kind of things really can, I think, do some damage. If we're honest with ourselves this morning, really can do some damage to people. You know, think back about verses 9 and 10 in James chapter 3 where he says, Essentially, cursing people that are made in God's image is the same as cursing God himself. I think that's essentially what he's getting at. 
is how can we do this? How can we praise God in one breath and curse the people who are made in His image in the same breath, with the same tongue? And then this thought, the flip side of this, the Scripture says that we can bring life with our words, really intrigues me. Okay, and I started to think about how do we bring life to people? What does that look like? And I immediately thought of one of my old pastors uh, in college, who's a very charismatic leader. You know, everybody wants to be around him. His name is Nate Roosh. And I always tell people, if you're ever in Minneapolis, you have to take Nate Roosh out for lunch, out for coffee. You have to steal some of Nate Roosh's time because you walk away from a conversation with Nate Roosh and you feel a hundred times better about your life and about yourself. I mean, he's just that kind of guy where he emanates life. He breathes life into everybody. Can anybody know somebody like that? They're just they're like the number one cheerleader. You know, they're just very encouraging. They're the kind of person that you want to hang around. They just breathe life. And it hit me when I was thinking about this that we literally can't breathe life into people with our words. But, and I think sometimes we, we think appreciative thoughts and we think these thoughts about people about, oh, man, I, you know, I appreciate... Uh, this person so much, you know, and I love that they do this and, and that they're this way. I love hanging out with them. I love that, uh, you know, Jerry Espinosa. Where's Jerry at? He's like, well, if you know Jerry Espinosa, I mean, he's just the kind of guy that just serves and serves and serves, and, and he'll do whatever you need and doesn't want any recognition. Or we think, man, Brandon and Matthew's messages, they hit it out of the park, and, and, and we don't tell them that. Or, or, you know, these different people we think about, we think these you know, thoughts of appreciation about people, and then sometimes we don't voice those, right? Or we think, or we maybe assume that they know, or we don't want to be cheesy, you know? But we, but we think these thoughts about people, and sometimes we forget to tell them, right? And so I think, which leads me to my next thought, that sometimes withholding life can be the same thing as bringing death, right? Sometimes withholding life can be the same thing as bringing death. And when sometimes the, the uh, I think the deepest scars come not from what people say to us, but what people don't say to us, right? There's a book out called uh, <clears throat> Wild at Heart. Uh, the author, John Eldridge, talks about it uh, in one part of the book where he says, a young man needs more than anything in his life to hear his father say, in some shape or form, you have what it takes. And if that young man doesn't receive that from his dad, he'll spend the rest of his life looking for it in some way, shape, or form. And he needs this desperately to hear his dad say, you have what it takes. And I can tell you, as, as somebody who's worked with in youth ministry and worked with teenagers and now working in public schools, and I, I guarantee you the teachers in this room would agree with me that we could walk into a classroom and point out, without knowing their backgrounds, we could, we could sit there and observe and, and point out the students in the rooms that don't have that at home. By the way that they act, by the way they teach or, or treat the teacher, especially a male authority figure at times, or the way they treat each other. You know, we could, we could just point out the people, not because we're psychic, but we could point out the ones that, uh, that don't have that at home, that don't have that encouragement, that don't have uh, that kind of an adult figure at their house. And there's another book out called Teaching with Poverty in Mind. And it's really fascinating because it talks about living in the conditions 
of poverty and what that does to the brain and how it can living in the conditions of poverty can literally deteriorate the brain. And this church knows, I mean, we serve the homeless all the time, don't we? What do we see when we serve the homeless? We see a whole lot of mental health issues, don't we? Okay? It's because, I think in large part, because living in the conditions of poverty can deteriorate the brain. Well, I would argue that living in conditions of uh, poverty of encouragement or the absence or lack of encouragement at home can deteriorate not only the brain, but can deteriorate social interaction and behavior as well. And so we come to this thought uh, that James says, come back to this thought of no man can tame the tongue. Okay? And, and really, it's, we can't, right? We can't tame the tongue because it's a hard issue. And we need to let uh, God change our hearts. So that out of our hearts seeps not venomous, poisonous, hurtful things, but out of our heart naturally seeps life. And encouragement, right? And let's be honest, I mean, because it doesn't come naturally, does it? Right? It does not come naturally to listen when someone's being rude and offensive to us. It doesn't come naturally to forgive or to hold our tongue or to love our enemies. But isn't that kind of the point this morning that we're not talking about something that is natural? We're talking about something that really is supernatural, in a sense. We're talking about kind of the way of the kingdom. Right? We're talking about uh, this way in which we can restore, repair, and reconcile the world back into God with our words. So, what do we do? Okay? What do we do? If we can't tame our tongues, we can't force ourselves to be this kind of people, what do we do? We have to essentially become disciples or students of Jesus. We have to let Jesus teach us how to forgive, how to be quick to listen. We have to let Jesus teach us, in essence, the way of the heavens, the way of the kingdom. And so in closing this morning, I want us to remember that we can't tame our tongues. We have to let God change our hearts. The tongue is just a symptom of a deeper-rooted issue. And so may you realize this morning that we carry with us great potential, with our words, potential to heal, encourage, and bless, or the potential to destroy, kill, do some damage. And may you let God's kingdom come to your heart, ultimately to your tongue. Let's pray. Father God.